century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, Tegan. Deep mid-wicket. Glenn Maxwell celebrates for it. Coley cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello there and a very warm welcome to the podcast. As you heard the gentleman at the top of the show say, I am Dean Duplessis and it is a great pleasure to be with you. Now, normally when we do these podcasts, we do like to interview players, whether they be former, whether they be current, but it gives me huge amounts of pleasure to welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast, one of the top umpires, if not the top umpire in world cricket, South Africa's Murray Erasmus. Murray, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking time out to have a chat. Good morning, Dean. Pleasure to be part of it. Okay, so we've just had an incredible series between two cricketing greats, India and South Africa, or shall I say South Africa and India, and it ended with South Africa winning the series by two test matches to one. Remove your umpire's cap and put on your, your South African cap, if you're allowed to. How happy are you with that result? Is it something that you as a cricket fan expected? Probably not, but then, yeah, um, I, I don't get uh, afforded the luxury of being a cricket fan uh, when you're in the midst of a, of a battle between two uh, really good teams. Yeah. So, um, yeah, nowadays it's uh, non-neutral umpiring, and yeah, that's even more of a challenge now for us. So, yeah. I don't, I don't watch the game, obviously, as a fan, but it's, uh, it's more a job. But yeah, I was, uh, initially, I don't think uh, anybody expected that result. Yeah, and, and that's, I'm so glad that you, that you mentioned that. I mean, it must be, I don't know, for me personally, I would have found it very difficult to switch off and um, you know, not necessarily becoming very excited when you see the country of your birth doing as well as they did. I, for example, the late Hilton Ackerman, I know uh, sometimes had to really bite his tongue uh, when H.D. Ackerman was at the crease. And so if H.D. Ackerman played a very good innings, he had to be very careful that he didn't become too excited. If he played a bad innings, he had to be careful that he didn't become too angry because obviously being father and son, and I know Dennis Streak from a Zimbabwean perspective had that with Heath when he was in the commentary box very briefly. So it's amazing to hear that you are able to just basically focus on your job and I guess that's why you are the professional that you are today, Murray. Yeah, I, th- I think to survive in an umpiring environment that it's a skill you must have. But luckily for us when we start our international journey, we start in T twenties and ODI cricket in your home country before you maybe uh, reach the elite level and then travel as a neutral. So we do get a bit of a taste of that. So when I had to come back because of COVID and the fact that we couldn't travel and then had to umpire South African test matches last season for the first time, um, at least we, we knew what we were in for. But uh, if I can have my way, I would want us to go back to neutrality. I think there's obviously safety in neutrality and uh, the current situation impacts on code of conduct and it impacts on match management. Uh, yeah, so it, it is challenging um, situation, but uh, understandable because of COVID. But I guess what it does do, though, it does get some of the younger umpires, like umpire Palakeli now, who's had his, uh, oh, I don't know if I pronounce, I was thinking of Palakeli, the town in Sri Lanka, forgive me. <laughs> but Palakeli, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, the nice thing from, from the perspective of having two home umpires is that um, he now would have got his opportunity probably a bit quicker than what he would have had there still been no COVID and no neutral umpires. It is one of the positives for the ICC because there are, let's call them 12 COVID test umpires, 12 guys that's because of COVID 
made their um, debuts, quite a few of them earlier, but I would say 11 of the 12 took those opportunities and and uh, umpiring fraternity is stronger because of that. And it actually showed in the performances at the World T20 when there were five of the international panel joining the 11 currently on the elite panel um, and they really, really performed well. Um, and some of the evaluations, these guys were in the top six yeah, at, the, uh, at the tournament. So, yeah, um, it's definitely... Uh, um, put the elite panel, uh, I wouldn't say under pressure, but um, understanding that uh, there is a next generation that are ready. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, this concluded series wasn't only very exciting from, you know, in, in terms of the cricket that was played, because both countries played some unbelievably good cricket. Uh, obviously, there was a bit of an incident that happened, and I, I'm not sure whether you are at liberty to talk about it, the whole incident when uh, that involved Dean Algar and the LBW decision and, and some comments that were made. How did you deal with that when Vera Kohli stepped in and started making these comments? I mean, a lot of people say it was just spur of the moment, which... Probably it was just a bit of uh, emotions getting the better of him. But h how were you able to deal with that? Does it become quite intimidating when these things happen? Well, I wouldn't say it's intimidating. Um, I think on uh, in situations like that, uh, it's, it's important that umpires understand that these guys are passionate and they are under pressure and uh, it's an emotional game and that you try and manage uh, that excitement. Um, and that's what we did on field. We reminded them of re the responsibilities. And the match referee, um, you know, spoke to uh, the, the team um, at the start, I think, of the fourth day, uh, reminding them of their um, responsibilities to, to play within the spirit of the game. Because of the fact that most umpires are now not neutral, uh, our code of conduct has just changed slightly, where we normally would just code and then follow the process. Now we just let the ICC know that we intend to code and then we take guidance from them. So it's just changed slightly there. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, we try and manage, as this, probably the bottom line, uh, all of those incidents because obviously people play with passion and they're going to get excited and, and in spur of the moment things will be said sometimes. Mm, yeah, that you don't really necessarily mean to say, but it's just the emotions that get the better of you. I yeah, suppose. and you don't want to be schoolmasterly. I mean, although I'm a former school teacher, but you don't want to be... You know, just black and white, but uh, understand that uh, yeah, these guys play with you know passion, and uh, and uh, it's it's a long period of time test cricket. So obviously, there's things that will build up frustrations, etc. If, if you're allowed to, and please feel free to, if you don't feel comfortable answering a question, feel free to to say so. That's not a problem. But what would the difference be between Kahiso Rabada, who got a bit of a raw deal back in 2018, versus what Virat Kohli said? Because you know, a lot of people would feel that what Virat said was, was bringing the game into disrepute and, you know, making some very serious allegations versus Rabada, who just also was emotional and very, very pumped up. If you're able to, can you explain the, the differences? Yeah, difficult for me because I wasn't involved in the Kakhiso Rabada um, incident, so I don't have all the, the detail there. Yeah, but I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a code in place. Uh, the code is very specific about uh, what different you know, the things you could be coded for. Right. Um, and as I said earlier, we went through that process of, of uh, intending to report. 
um, and to, to guidance from ICC. So yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. No, more that's than that, more than that. I can't you, you can no, no, and that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, and anyway, let's talk about the more uh, the better things in cricket. Anyway, so I, I want to talk a bit about you now, and uh, this is something I've been wanting to do since I first met you down at Queen Sports Club in Bulawayo. I, having done my schooling in Worcester, which um, is not too far from where you played your provincial cricket, you played for the province of Boerland, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, that's and, and I do remember your name popping up quite quite often. So that was in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Is that correct? Yeah, I played first class cricket from eighty eight to ninety seven. Right. Okay. It must have been quite you know impressive to see Boerland cricket develop the way that it did because they were allowed into the first class infrastructure in ninety three ninety four. And uh, what, what really was so impressive was that you had the services of Adrian Caper, that incredible all-rounder who moved from Western Province to Boerland. But you also had very exciting overseas all-rounder Philip de Freitas from England. Um, and I, I felt what it did very nicely was it then was able to mix those two very experienced campaigners to good all-rounders, could then allow the likes of Henry Williams, uh, maybe even John Commons, and you also had Kenny Jackson, if I remember correctly. That, that must have been a very nice time of your career. It was, because when I started initially, um, we were in the B section. And some seasons we only played four first-class games, mainly against B sides from, from the bigger unions. Um, yeah, and then 93-4, it became more of a professional setup. Not that I was ever fully professional, because I was either a student or a full-time teacher while playing first-class cricket and all my nine seasons of first-class cricket. And yeah, so for, for me, it was a wonderful escape and a great opportunity. But I think more importantly, it led to this career. And if you do have a, a stronger cricketing background, I think um, potentially you adapt better to uh, umpire. It doesn't mean you have to have played, but I think uh, the proof is in the pudding. Currently, of the 11 elite umpires, I think 10 played first-class cricket and three played international cricket. So it definitely um, helps to have a, a cricketing background. It's absolutely outstanding because you answered my question. My next question, I was going to ask you, you know, do you think it is very important for an umpire to have played cricket? And, and, and I think the proof is very much in the pudding and you've you've just said that. So when did you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with my playing career. I actually, I'm not going to go into coaching. I'm not going to go into commentating. I want to become an umpire. Well, initially, I did contemplate the coaching part, but uh, I finished in uh, 96-7 season, so I was already teaching for six years at the time. But then I, f I realized that uh, going through the coaching route, uh, having a full-time career as a teacher would be troublesome because some of these teams practice in the morning, the, even the semi-professional teams, and I was stuck at school. So at that stage, I decided umpiring because I can you know, do my training after hours. Initially, when you start at club cricket level, it's it's on Saturdays. Um, and then I was very lucky that Cricket South Africa put me on a fast-track system. So within three years of umpiring, I was doing first-class cricket, and within six, I was doing international cricket. So I was given the opportunity. You obviously then have to take the opportunity. So, yeah, I made that uh, decision in my last season of playing club cricket. After first class, I played three more seasons of club cricket, which in hindsight maybe I shouldn't have done. I should have gone straight into umpiring. But, yeah, I did it. But it, uh, it worked out well for me, getting opportunity very quickly. And I guess the nice thing with that is you had some vastly experienced international um, umpires around you, the likes of Rudy Kutzen, you know, Cyril Mitchley, I suppose, would have been in the mix as well. So they probably... Yeah, Barry, Barry Lamson. Barry I've got Lamson. lots of guidance from Barry Lamson, him being a um, teacher himself. 
still to this day. Um, yeah, so um, I headed off with him and learned a lot of things and took a lot of guidance from him when I did start umpiring because he umpired me when I played. So now tell us how were you at all nervous because now you've made the jump from first-class cricket where you would have come across all sorts of things now suddenly and then it would have been your your international your one-day international debut I would imagine that would have been at home as you as you explained earlier on in the podcast that's correct well actually mine was actually in Kenya um, right. I was uh, in Kenya to umpire Canada and Kenya in a in I Cup match of four-day game and then stayed on to do the yeah, two ODIs. But the third one was South Africa, New Zealand. The initial 15, I think, was all involving South Africa. So it was, it was that route. Um, but I think but even when I started first-class cricket, because it was only three, four years after I finished myself, probably half of the players I played against and they knew my cricket credentials and understood that I, I know the game well. So I think you, as a former player, then you know, get acceptance and which obviously gives you confidence uh, a little quicker than someone else that they don't know and has to prove himself a little more. But when you go out there and you, you sort of take guard as an umpire, are there still the nerves or butterflies that, for example, a player making his debut would experience? Did you have something most, similar, especially in your first Most assessment? definitely. Yeah. Most definitely now. I've done, this, was, this was my 70th test on field and I've soon to do my under the ODI. I still have nerves. So if you don't have it, you shouldn't be there. Because then it doesn't matter to you, yep. and you have pride in performance, and you want you know not be the talk of town. Um, I want people to talk about the cricket and not the umpiring. So yeah, we we still feel nerves, uh, but nerves is good. Gives you energy. Body knows he's going into battle, and, and uh, then your senses are definitely alert. Do you stay fit as an umpire as well? Do you, do you is there a certain thing that you do in terms of going to the gym? Uh, and, uh, yeah, I might not look that fit, but you obviously have to be fit. You need a strong, strong legs and a strong back. Yeah. I do mountain biking when I'm not caught in a bubble. Unfortunately, bubble life is an old topic in itself. Uh, it's challenging when you're stuck on the 15th floor, tow all the time, and you can only go to a gym, which I don't really like. I like training out in the open. Um, but yeah, thank goodness I have a view of Table Mountain as I'm talking to you now. So, um, oh wow! But yeah, but, oh, but like, it's not as challenging. Yeah, but you know you have to have stamina. Standing five days in excessive heat and yeah, is, is a challenge. A lot of people. Well, let me put it to you this way: I once had a very disturbing comment made when I was listening to a test series that involved England, and let's say it was one of the more established commentators who are part of the very well-known broadcaster in England. And he said something that disturbed me and actually rather annoyed me. He said that the DRS, the Decision Review System, has made umpires lazy. What would your comment be to that? Because I personally found it very... I, I wasn't happy with, with a comment like that. Yeah, I understand that comment. Uh, since DRS, and this is now the 14th year, we've had ball tracking when, with technology being so good that basically we've got nowhere to hide because even the faintest little error will now be exposed where a previous generation of the Shepherds and the Buckners, they might have got, I wouldn't say got away, they probably didn't know they made a mistake themselves, but now some mistakes are showing up. But I think what DRS has done is given us an understanding of things that we thought would happen in cricket, especially with bounce the ball actually bounces much higher than what we initially thought something to be plumb. Um, so we learned from that. Ball tracking has definitely taught us a lot of things. Unfit LBWs on two spinners are more out than it used to be in the previous DRS generation. And it's also shown the people that watch cricket how difficult umpiring is. 
And I think commentators now have a better understanding that very difficult art. And, uh, you know, I think generally international umpires do really well. If we just talk about decision-making, which is only one part of umpiring, match management and uh, all those other things um, are also obviously very, very important. But if you just talk about decision-making, and I go back to last year's uh, World T20 in the UAE, the average decision-making of a group of 16 umpires over 40-odd matches were more than 95%. Uh, it's phenomenal thinking that technology can prove anything now, and yet the umpire's strike rate is 95%. That's so, uh, yeah, that is phenomenal. Wow. That is phenomenal, absolutely. Now, when you do have a bit of time off and a bit of a breather, do you, uh, other than relaxing, do you still watch a bit of cricket or do you take a complete uh, break from the sport? No, sadly enough, I do watch. But I watch it from an umpire's perspective, um, yeah, trying to pick up things maybe. And uh, If I have a relationship uh, with an umpire, I will you know, uh, contact that umpire and give guidance or just congratulate him on it. No wonderful performance um, but there's obviously lots of guys that I don't know personally so I wouldn't you know get involved um, because they obviously got their, their people supporting them and helping them but we yeah we we are a tight-knit family we get wonderful guidance from coaches uh, there's four ICC coaches and then some of the domestic uh, home board uh, also have uh, umpire coaches assisting the guys and maybe that is why there's such a successful or proven now as I said earlier, a, a group of umpires is ready for for international cricket. Um, um, yeah, and I think the umpire fraternity is standing in good stead. And again, when when you have a bit of time off, is there when you are leading up to a series, do you start to review yourself? So do you maybe like watch a couple of uh, watch some footage of games gone by, try and review yourself? I know some umpires like to go to the nets as well and spend a bit yes, of time yes. in the nets. Do you do all of that? Yeah, we do, we do. We do. It depends on the length uh, between your last assignment, uh, Yeah, that uh, you will either feel the need to go to nets or not. If it's a very, very short, like a 10-day break, I probably wouldn't be too bothered if I've just had a lot of cricket recently. But uh, particularly now, we're finishing next Sunday with the ODI series, and then I might have uh, about five weeks off before the Bangladesh series, and then uh, I'm penciled in to do a first-class game early March um, in at my own ground in Powell, oh. um, actually. And that will be part of my preparation because the week after that, we go into the bubble for that particular series, and then we'll go to those nets. So, yeah, we do, we do take it seriously. We've got video libraries that we can go back to previous things. We, as I said, we've got coaches that uh, we talk to weekly and assess our performances, work on weaknesses, you know, strength and strengths, uh, all those type of things. So it is a very professional era, and the expectation of teams is that umpiring must be great. Um, and there's obviously lots of money involved. And I think uh, we've been reasonably successful doing that. Yes, I, I don't think anybody would dispute that. But what, in your opinion, would make a great umpire or a good umpire? I think, firstly, you've got to be a good person to be a good umpire. So things like integrity is, is very, very important. But there's not just one way of umpiring. We, we're all different characters. Uh, I compare myself with uh, someone like Ian Gould, who was a uh, you know, very, very successful yeah. umpire. And we are totally different characters. And on field, we have different persona, where I might come across as far more serious. He's a more of a jovial guy. But, I mean, uh, he, that was his way of dealing with his nerves, and I have, I have other ways of dealing with, with mine. Um, I feel if I'm focused and in the zone, then I perform at my best. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of different skills. You have to obviously be a 
a very good decision maker, but the most, most important skill is you have to be a great man manager. I think that is my strength better than uh, I'm not the very best decision maker, but I have a reasonably high standard in decision making. And, and again, the that, match, that, yeah, the match management is the most important thing. And again, Murray, that stems back to you being a teacher as well, where you sometimes have to be a bit man management skills come in when you have to maybe control a rowdy classroom or something of that nature. Yeah, definitely. Those are skills that I definitely brought across. But you don't want to be too bossy. Um, yeah. You must understand pressures they are under. And, uh, you know, sometimes they need to just need a fatherly figure on field to guide them in the right direction. So that's what I try and do. So you've done 70 test matches. Which one up to this point would you say was a test match that you enjoyed the most for whatever reasons? And then which one was you say would you say was the one that you really had a problem with and struggled with for whichever reasons as well? I suppose where these things are linked to our personal performances. I had a very tough one in Palakere involving England in, in Sri Lanka, a spinning wicket where I made far too many errors for my liking. So those ones you think, oh, you know, could have done better. It wasn't enjoyable. You know, it's very tough. On a personal level, my very first test at Lords, and I've been lucky, I think, to do five or six already. But the very first one was uh, 2012, and I took my father with to London for the week uh, to to, to watch me umpire at Lords. Because he was the guy that introduced me to the game and we early 70s, mid-70s, we went to Newlands as I grew up in the northern suburbs of Cape Town um, to watch the Derek Robbins 11 playing, a South African 11. And, uh, yeah, that's where my, my love for cricket started. So, yeah, that, that was on an emotional level. Yeah, fantastic. But there's uh, other great moments where my family... My wife and two boys were with me for the World Cup final at Lords again in 2019, which was which was really special. You know, being the first South African to umpire World Cup final and having your family there—that was fantastic. That must have been, a, and I mean, that final itself. Goodness me! I mean, it's not that there was controversy, but I mean, you know, the way that England won that World Cup. I mean, we. we it was an amazing, yeah. It oh. was an amazing match. It was a. It was quite a tough wicket, a tennis ball bound, so you couldn't really just smash through the line that most ODI um, wickets are like. And that made it for such a, a challenging game. Um, yeah, and obviously then the, the controversy was there as well. It seems that the controversy is following me lately. But, uh, you know, it comes with the territory, I suppose. <laughs> well, you know what? You, In my opinion, you've dealt with every bit of controversy very, very nicely. You've uh, been incredibly professional about uh, what you've done. And it's been a real joy and pleasure to have you on the podcast, Maria Erasmus. Thank you so much you know it's not often that we get to talk to umpires and when i was given the opportunity i was a bit nervous i have to be honest because i've never interviewed an umpire before but uh, thank you very much for spending time on the podcast and i hope that you're around for another at least at the very least 70 test matches unlikely yeah my, my time's <laughs> running out probably got three years in the gang left but uh, yeah i've enjoyed every moment of it well it's been an absolute pleasure maria thank you very very much indeed for your time thanks dean You've been listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. We'll be back again pretty soon. If ever you'd like to get in touch in terms of sponsorship, you're very welcome to do so. You can simply reach me on my Twitter handle at Dean underscore Plessy. And we'll be back again pretty soon with another podcast. Until then, stay safe, take care, and goodbye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.